As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello, it's Justin Briley here from Premier Unbelievable, bringing you some special editions of the C.S. Lewis Podcast over the summer. And, uh, well, we're really nearly into the autumn now, aren't we? I've been speaking to David Marshall, author of the new book, The Case for Aslan, Evidence for Jesus in the Land of Narnia. And in this third part of our discussion, we'll be talking about David's time as a missionary in China and East Asia and how he found C.S. Lewis's writing helped his journey there. How does the subject of miracles, especially the death and resurrection of Aslan, for instance, get addressed in Narnia? Just a reminder before we leap into today's show, I'll be hosting that online panel discussion, Falling from Grace, addressing power, leadership and abuse in the church with panellists Amy Orr Ewing, president of the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics and former vice president of Arzim, Rachel Den Hollander, attorney and advocate for abuse survivors, Mike Cosper, presenter and producer of the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, and Diane Langberg, psychologist and trauma specialist. In light of a series of leadership scandals that have rocked the evangelical church, we'll be asking, what does this reckoning mean for the mega church ministry model? How do we ensure the voices of survivors are heard? What must the church do to repent and be transformed? free to attend from anywhere in the world and you can ask your questions too of this significant panel. It's taking place on Tuesday the 13th of September, 8pm UK, 3pm Eastern, that's 12 noon Pacific. You can register your place anytime though right now at unbelievable.live to make sure you're part of it. The link is with today's show. So do join us and be part of that important conversation. Right now it's time to jump into the final part of my conversation with David Marshall. So uh, continuing a conversation today on the show with David Marshall, the author of The Case for Aslan, Evidence for Jesus in the Land of Narnia. Um, we're going to talk today on the show about a couple more chapters, uh, including talking about the case for miracles, really, and how that's reflected in the Narnia story. And also the sort of the miracle at the center of the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the, the death and resurrection of Aslan. Um, first of all, tell me about your own life a little bit more David because um, you've spent a lot of time in Asia uh, you've spent a lot of time with Chinese Christians um, you've obviously engaged the culture uh, apologetically there obviously there's an, an atheistic culture that comes with the Communist Party but um, what what's been your experience does does kind of Lewis does Lewis's thinking does Narnia kind of resonate in in the in the Far East in the same way that it obviously has resonated in in Oxford and you know, and the West, you know, so many people love those stories. Does, is, is, does, does Lewis kind of pop up in, in that part of the world as well? Oh, absolutely. Of course, uh, Warney Lewis, uh, 
C.S. Lewis's older brother, actually spent time in East Asia and, and particularly in Shandong province, which is where I also where I ended up helping found a school several years ago. Uh, so I would have loved to talk to talk to Warney about his experiences in Asia. I mm. think uh, anyway, um, when I went as a young man to East Asia as a missionary, as I said earlier, mm. I still had a lot of questions about the Christian faith. And I guess the biggest question that I had was, is it, is it true? Mm. Is God real? Uh, and some of the things that I experienced in East Asia kind of put an explanation point behind that. Like, for example, uh, people in India who had been, you know, abused, beaten, uh, maimed in order to mm. elicit pity from passers buyer and, and, and so they could beg better. Mm. Uh, girls who were sold into prostitution in, in Thailand and then later on mm. in Taiwan. Uh, things and of course the whole history of the communist party and, and, the, and the suffering that a lot of people had gone through over the years in china the, mm. the question of the problem of pain as C.S. lewis calls it is, is something that uh, confronts you on many different mm. levels when you travel around the world mm. uh one of the reasons not the only reason one of the reasons that i my faith i think was deepened by those experiences was because first of all i found that some of C.S. lewis's insights about world religions about how the gospel fulfills the deepest truths in other religions, mm. they turned out to be, they turned out to explain a lot of what I found in, in Asia, particularly in mm. Chinese culture. And I've written mm. books about that. I've, I've talked to you about it before. Yeah. Uh, but another aspect that was, that strengthened my faith was the fact that I kept on meeting people who seemed to have experiences. I know Craig Keener, who you've probably talked with him as well. He talks a mm. lot about these, these things, people who had experiences with God, uh, which showed that he was actually answering prayer and that he was actually acting in the world from time to time in ways that were uh, probative, ways mm. that showed that something was really going on. Now, in the book, I, I, I can't say that I've had a whole, whole lot, a lot of extremely uh, spectacular experiences along those lines, but I did have a few experiences which yeah. suggested to me that Sometimes God did answer prayer in some pretty amazing ways. Yeah, that, there was a lovely, a lovely kind of anecdote that you tell um, about being ba basically penniless as, as a, this young missionary, I think work, working with youth with a mission at the time and kind of having a bad day where you'd, you'd been uh, a sort of semi-answer to prayer. You'd been told by your parents that some money was on the way, but then you found out that you wouldn't be able to get it until after the weekend. And how you were you going to eat? You didn't even have enough to buy a, a burger at McDonald's. And you kind of, you know, sort of had a bit of a moan at God and said, you know, I, I like singing Great Is Thy Faithfulness. But today, I, I when I can't have enough money to buy a burger, I don't don't feel like singing it. What's going on, God? You know, maybe I should just pack it all up and go home or something. Now, tell tell us what happened in, in the rest of this story. Yeah, I was in Taipei and I was uh, I had about seven rent, uh, Taibi, Taiwanese. It was probably about 40 cents or so mm -hmm. left. That was all I had left. I, my, I got a check, but the bank said I couldn't cash it for several days and I didn't have any food. I didn't have any toilet paper. I didn't have any, <laughs> any uh, soap. So I took some of those few remaining coins and I bought a train ticket to Taipei Station and I went out to Xingongyan, New Park, behind the train station. It's not there. It's still there, but the, everything else has changed. And mm. I started pacing up and down, looking at the leaden sky and asking God, well, why am I here? 
What am I doing mm. in Taiwan, preaching the gospel, trying to help these girls? So these girls have been sold into prostitution. It was so depressing. What am I mm. doing here, trying to do your work? And here I don't have enough food and don't have enough money. Uh, I wasn't in YWAM anymore at that point. I was pretty much on, on my own, which made it even more lonely. Mm. So after talking to God and not hearing anything back, I started heading towards the exit of the park. And, and there was a pretty girl reading an English newspaper. So I thought that was a good excuse to strike up a conversation and we talked to somebody who would actually respond to my questions for a change. Mm-hmm. So I started talking with her and uh, she started asking me what I was doing in Taiwan. And I was kind of grudging. I didn't want to explain to her that I was there to tell people about God, but I did because that was the truth. And I started telling her a little bit about the gospel, despite myself. <laughs> and then I stood up to leave and she asked me my name. And I said, Madoe. And she said, Madoe. You sure Madoe, Ma? Are you really, are you really, really Madoe? You my Chinese name? It turned out that a couple years before then, she had lost her wallet or her purse at National Taiwan University, which is several miles away in a city of 4.5 million people, with, including the suburbs. And someone had take gotten her purse and wrote in very crude Chinese, Shangdi Aini, God loves you, and put his name, Madoe, in her purse, Let, put it in lost and found at, at the National Taiwan University. Well, two years later, she met that person who had found her purse, and she remembered in his name, me. <laughs> it was you. It was me. <laughs> As he said, wow. well, can I take you off for lunch or something? And I said, okay, well, I don't know. Well, there's McDonald's over here. We were sitting in the McDonald's and I was eating a cheeseburger. And I suddenly remembered, didn't I pray to God and, and complain to God say, saying, well, I can't even buy a cheese, a hamburger right now. <laughs> and then I had the hamburger. He was, he was laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> and he added the cheese as well. Yeah. Added the cheese as well. And then, I mean, Later on that day, someone else treated out, treated me to dinner. And then later on that night, I went and shared some things about mainland China. China mainland China wasn't open to Taiwanese at the time. And I mm. talked to some people and they utterly, I wasn't expecting it all. They gave me some money. So all of my needs were provided for until I got to the bank and managed to get the money back. Now, in a sense, it wasn't so important. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a big miracle. And this is the thing. Some people define miracles as some sort of a violation of the laws of nature mm. and some critics of Christianity and some Christians go along as well. I don't define a miracle as, as a violation of nature as David Hume, for example, did mm. because what I try to do in this book is tie actual miracles into the lion's song, the song of creation, mm. which is what C.S. Lewis does very well in his book, miracles. Mm. Um, there is a certain pattern there are certain characteristics of the acts of God, whether on the big scale or on the little scale, which show that they are from God and they're not arbitrary, meaningless, or even poisonous, as many so-called miraculous or supernatural mm. works sometimes are. So Lewis uses the word mir- um, magic in the Chronicles of Narnia, but the word magic is also used sometimes in a more, uh, in a darker sense. Mm. And in that darker sense, I contrast it with miracles yeah. uh, because there are some supernatural acts or some, you know, gurus who, because I'm, 
a student of world religions. I also did my, my, my uh, MA. I did research on a uh, particular uh, esoteric Buddhist guru uh, of Chinese background. And I saw the kinds of supernatural acts that he claimed to do and that his followers, mm. that led his followers to believe in him. So in a sense, Christianity is fighting on both fronts. Mm-hmm. On the one front against the materialists who say that there's really only one thing in the world, and that mm-hmm. one thing is nature. And therefore, there can be no miracles because there is no miracle worker to work them. Mm-hmm. On the other front, Christianity is also fighting against people who says everything is a miracle. My guru does lots of miracles and come, mm-hmm. and come to my ashram and see the kinds of miracles that he does. Mm-hmm. Christianity is... Is, is arguing is both at the same time, and the, and the Gospels themselves are, I would say, a very, you know, even in the ancient world, even among the ancient Greco-Romans, the miraculous acts of Jesus were quite distinct from, yeah, say, yeah. Apollonius of Tyana or someone like that. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, I'm sure in the introduction to the Screw Tape Letters, when Lewis talks about People, some people's fascination with demons and the dark side and so on. Uh, he says, you know, the devil greets the materialist and the magician with, you know, an equal uh, amount of uh, gratitude because he, he enjoys anyone who denies the supernatural, but he also enjoys anyone who sort of wants to try and turn everything into the supernatural and try and, you know, um, control nature in a sense in that sort of way. And Lewis, I think, I, I guess for me, that's the difference between magic and miracles for Lewis. Magic in its dark form is is about people trying to control through yes. the supernatural whereas miracles are well they're, they're in the they're in the gift of god they are a sign aren't they uh, very often is what is what um they're used for in narnia and obviously in in the gospels themselves yes and and lewis depicts this very well in um in the silver chair when eustace scrub and jilly jill i don't remember her last name uh they're in a an experimental school and they're trying to escape from the school. Uh, it's a very nasty school with a lot of bullies and they want to get away from it. And Eustace has been to Narnia before. He was there the year before where he had a conversion experience. Mm. His conversion experience first involved converting from a, a little bratty little boy into a dragon. <laughs> and then from a bratty dragon to a nicer <laughs> dragon, and then from a nicer dragon and back into a boy again. That's right. Uh, so, Polly says, well, how can we get out of this experimental school? And, and, and uh, I'm sorry, Jill. Jill. And, mm-hmm. and Eustace says, well, how, we, perhaps if we talk to Aslan, Aslan will allow us back into his world. And Jill says, well, what should we do? Should we drop some sort of a, a circle and do some, some magical incantations? And, 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 and Eustace says, no, I don't think that's really what Aslan would like. I think all, all we can do is really ask. Mm-hmm. And I think in that scene, uh, C.S. Lewis describes the difference between magic and miracles very well. When it comes to the way that, you know, Narnia itself is a magical place, you know, it's a place where, you know, the witch can do her spells and Aslan can do his magic and there's other forms of supernatural things going on, you know. Um but at the center of it is, is you know, in, especially in the first of them, well, depending on how you count the, the seven books, but uh, with, with the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you have got this deep magic 
that, yes. that that's described and that's very much bound up with the the witch kind of not realizing the kind of this kind of deep magic that exists behind mm. the kind of the surface level magic let's say of narnia and and that's where you know you get to the the very depths of this this idea of atonement um what what i mean this this is you know where people most typically obviously do see the christian aspect of narnia it's in the story of aslan as the jesus character being slain in the place of the traitor edmund the witch thinking she's won the day she's finally won the battle but of course she didn't know that he was going to rise again um i mean for you i mean again coming back to our friend philip pullman he 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 really disliked this bit of the story didn't Mm. he he just felt this was lewis drawing on you know the crucifixion and resurrection just to pull on the emotional heartstrings as it were but for you actually this is actually lewis really understanding christianity isn't it it's not only lewis understanding christianity it's lewis understanding human civilization and history Mm. because this what Pullman perceives as superficial. And actually we had this conversation with uh, John Loftus on your other oh, we did. Yeah. broadcast at one point where, mm. where I, I pointed out that the ancient Indians also had very clear idea of, of the ultimate God sacrificing himself for, to renew creation. And mm. Loftus said, oh, I don't believe in that kind of superstitious nonsense. Uh, and yet we were talking about the outsider test for faith. And you're saying that, you know, uh, which faith is going to fulfill the deepest truths in every every tradition? Uh, and and uh, Loftus had no concept of that. It was kind of a zero sum game. Either yeah. we're right and you're wrong, or <laughs> you're wrong, you're right and we're wrong. But there's truth within even within these these ancient traditions as well, which point I believe to the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins. And Lewis, this is why Lewis became a Christian. Mm. This is why you know he was wandering down Addison way with J.R.R. Tolkien and, and who was the other guy? Uh, uh, uh yeah. Um, very what, unfortunate. What yeah. <laughs> um, Dyson was it? I can't remember. Yeah. I, what, so, what I think it's Dyson. Might be you Dyson. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is the very subject that comes, that came up in their conversation in the, in the 1930s when Lewis was contemplating Christianity. And, and he said, well, you know, how, why should I, they pointed out that the very thing that Lewis loved so deeply when he was reading myth was the thing that caused him to reject Christianity. And that was a sacrificial death for the other. Now, if you think about that concept, it's not just ancient India. It's not just the gospels. It, 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 it is spread. It's really part of human life. You know, mm. why do we honor mm. our parents? Because they sacrificed for us. Why do mm. we honor the soldiers who died for our country? This idea of self-sacrifice for the other is something that permeates all of human civilization is one of the deepest truths mm. because the witch recognized the, 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 the dark, the deeper magic that if someone is uh, sins, basically he's going to have to pay for it. There's going to have some, 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 some sort of retribution for wrongdoing, but she didn't recognize the deeper magic, which is that when a tr- someone who is not a traitor dies on behalf of the tr- traitor, then death itself will work backwards. Now this concept is something Lewis became a Christian, Pullman is so wrong. <laughs> Lewis became a Christian for this very reason. That's not something he tacked onto the, the Chronicles mm-hmm. of Narnia to make them more popular, as Pullman suggests. This is actually something that goes to the very root of his understanding of world religions. And mm-hmm. the, because here in the Gospels, we have this universal truth made flesh. Mm-hmm. We have 
the truth of sacrifice, sacrificial death, and then resurrection coming because of that mm. made historical mm. so that here we have the story. It's a wonderful story, but what, what about, how does it affect us in the real world? Well, mm. Tolkien convinced Lewis that it affects us in the real world because here is mythology. Here is this, what would Jung call it? Uh, An archetype, I suppose. Archetype, <laughs> yes. Becoming flesh, becoming reality and historical and actually mm. occurring under you know, Pontius Pilate at a certain time that we can pretty much calculate having mm. historical effects that we can also chronicle. Yeah. It's, it, and, and, and in many ways, Lewis is doing what he saw so many of his favorite authors and poets down the ages do. And that is to tell that story again and, and to inspire, I suppose, in, in our imagination, what it feels like, you know, and, and that's, I think, you know, it, it's, it's that phrase, isn't it? About, sneaking past the watchful dragons um uh, it's it's the imagination can sometimes take us to those truths which often our skeptical rational faculties sort of won't allow us to kind of really think about and and i think that that's obviously the beauty of narnia and, and kind of coming back to where we started you know the idea that lewis sort of abandoned apologetics in favor of going off into a fantasy land i think i think is a wrong interpretation because i think he was just doing what apologetics actually needs to do which is actually to connect that that imaginative side of who we are with with the rational side and bring them together and he did that in a in a brilliant way i think in in narnia in a way that actually helps to get past some of those those watchful dragons you know when it comes to many people because you want you you, you want aslan to be real you want that story to be true and then lewis says well what if it was true what if it actually did happen and and that's that's yeah i just think that's uh, I can't think of a better example of anyone who's done that, you know, than Lewis in, in, in Narnia. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been so good to spend some time with you talking about these issues, David. Um, I wish we, we just, you had more time, but um, there's lots well, even, we haven't covered in the book. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, even JK Rowling can't help, help putting in a sort of a resurrection. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I suspect you could even search Philip Pullman's books and find and find you know quite a few Christian allusions, even if he didn't intend them, because you you can't escape them in the world in the Western world, can you? It's it's kind of Christianity has basically shaped the way we tell stories, and that's that's just the fact of it. Well, and it's also part of who we are as, as human beings, which I think is universal in some ways as well. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why I find so many of these connections with Chinese culture as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, as I say, fascinating book. Um, I, I learned a lot about Narnia in the process, and it introduced me to some really great reasons for believing in Christianity as well. If you want to get hold of it, um, it's The Case for Aslan, Evidence for Jesus in the Land of Narnia. It's by David Marshall. There's a link to it with today's show. But for now, thank you very much for being my guest across the last uh, few was, episodes was, of, of the podcast. It was wonderful to talk with you. God bless you, David. Thank you. Thank you. Well, once more, the link for The Case for Aslan is with today's show. And you can get more from the C.S. Lewis podcast at our website, premierunbelievable.com. Just a reminder, we've got that important event coming up on church leadership abuse scandals featuring Amy Orr Ewing, Mike Cosper, Rachel Den Hollander and Diane Langberg. You can be part of it on Tuesday, the 13th of September. Lots of opportunity for audience Q&A. Free to attend online. You just need to register in advance at unbelievable.live again the links are with today's show 
Thanks so much for being with us for these summer specials. Ruth Jackson will be returning soon for more shows with Alistair. We're excited to have her back. For now, God bless and see you soon. <laughs>